In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. I think it's back in the sound booth. Somewhere in this building, there's this uh, white binder. On the front of it, it says MVCSOPs, Mercy Village Church Standard Operating Procedures. If you work in the right field, you know, you know what SOPs are. You may have some for your company. For us, it manifests itself in a book full of checklists, right? These are, our SOPs are just checklists for how we get this thing up off the ground every Sunday morning. Like, what's the stuff that, that needs done to get there? That's a bunch of checklists. You just heard something that sounds a lot like a checklist, right? Like the the standard operating procedures for Christians, right? It can come off like a checklist. And, And in all honesty, as we encounter these verses today, this checklist of sorts, there's a lot of, based on our personalities, based on our experiences, there's a lot of unhealthy ways that we could engage that list, quite frankly, if we're honest. So I'm going to do the work of, of setting us up to, to, Lord willing, receive it rightly today by cautioning us about some ways to, to not receive it. And, and they're, uh, they're alliterated. They all start with C, so that'll help us get a hold of them here. One way we can encounter lists like this when we come to them in, in the Bible is to feel condemnation. Like, we read a list like that, and we're like, well, I stink. I'm worthless. That list just proves it, right? Like, I'm none of that stuff. I'll never measure up. And maybe you feel heavy under that list. It just reminds you of all the ways that you think you're failing in in this life. Please fight to not receive the list today as condemnation. Others of us might respond with a feeling of compliance, right? Like there's some of us maybe who are wired to really like SOPs, standard operating procedures, because that comforts us. Now we know exactly how we're supposed to behave to earn success or to earn favor or to earn goodness, right? So we see this list and we're like, okay, now I know what to do. I will comply to this list and then I will be loved by God. I will comply to this list, and then I will be what a good Christian looks like. For some condemnation, for some maybe compliance. Please fight to not hear it that way today. These aren't, this isn't a checklist of standard operating procedures. For some of us, right, cockiness. You remember Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray? And one of those days, because he lives that same day however many times, He's there with the, with the love interest of the movie, and somehow they get, they're in this diner, and they get in this conversation about like, what she wants in a man, and she starts listening. He needs to be you know, generous and kind, and he needs to be good-looking but not obsessed with himself. She's like going through the list of things, and as she goes through it, he keeps saying, me, 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 also me. I'm pretty close on this one, right? Like That's what Bill Murray does. Some of us can hear that list and be tempted to be like, oh, yeah, me. Yeah, that's me. I'm doing good at that. I'm doing good at that. Maybe not many of us, but there's some of us, right? 
who can be that way. I'm one of them. It can be like, yeah, look at me. This is, this is not what the list is for. It's not some type of attaboy to affirm how, how good you're doing, right? So the response should not be, be cockiness. And then another way we could hear this is criticism. Not of ourselves, but of others. We read the list and, we're, and we think of a parent who failed us or a pastor or leader, church leader from the past that failed us. Or somebody else in our lives that we feel bitter towards and we say, yeah, that person, I'm, they're not a good Christian. They don't live that way. And we hear it as criticism for others. For many of us, it might be a combination of some of those things or all of those things. My prayer today for all of us and for myself this entire week has been that I would not engage the list in any of those ways. It's not condemnation, a heavy weight and burden to carry out of this place. It's, it's not some uh, checklist that now you need to comply to. It's, it's, it's not uh, something to make you feel cocky. It's not something to help you criticize other people. Instead, and these are C's as well, we're supposed to feel this list first as consequences, not negative consequences, but positive consequences, not of our work, but of the transforming power of the gospel. These things spill out as consequences of being transformed by the gospel. And then they also are convicting, but convicting is different than condemning. Condemning puts you in the gutter, makes you feel like a failure. Convicting, right, moves inside of you saying God can empower you to change and you deeply want to change. Those are the two responses that we should have under this list because Ultimately, and the main takeaway today is this, the result of true gospel transformation is a gospel lifestyle. True gospel transformation will result in a gospel lifestyle, but that gospel lifestyle is rooted in the love of Jesus. So, Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us, and what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here's the list. Verse 25 is speak truthfully. That's the first thing on the list. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Stop lying, right? Put that away. Now, maybe none of us here are like maybe vicious liars. But do we lie to each other in more subtle ways? Anybody ever lied on their taxes? Anybody ever lied on your social media account? Right? Not big time, just a little bit, right? Kind of over-exaggerate things. It's already convicting, isn't it? It is for me. Put that away. Put the small half-truths away that maybe you're trying to boister your own reputation so you kind of don't present all the facts about your life. You spin it just a little bit to, to you know, come off like a, a better person maybe than you are. See all these fingers pointing at me, at myself? Okay, let's put that away. Stop lying, but instead speak truthfully. This verse, and, and Paul does this through this whole list, it's this beautiful example for a preacher because he's exegeting from the Old Testament. He's pulling 
verses and phrases and teachings from the Old Testament, and he's presenting them in this gospel context to the Ephesians. He's using the Word of God to instruct the people of God. And, and a lot of the language in verse 25 is taken from Zechariah chapter 8, in particular verse 16. But that whole book of Zechariah is about truth, truth, truth. In fact, it really paints this picture of the people of God becoming this city of truth. Right? Like in a world of deceit. And I don't just mean like evil deceit, right? Like I don't mean that like, don't let your kids watch that new movie on Disney. It's full of lies. Like that's not at all what I mean. I mean it in the more like subtle ways that the world will lie to us saying peace is found here. Joy is found here. Happiness is found here. We'll believe that, still tend to believe that stuff, but we're to be a city of truth that says, no, true life, true joy is found in Jesus, in His way. And we're to be a city of truth, even amongst a world that might not value that truth in the same way we do. And we signal a city to come, the future city of truth, all the people of God together for eternity in heaven a city of absolute truth, where truth will be seen, truth will be felt, truth will be spoken, truth will be known at every level. There will be no falsehood anymore, no deceit anymore. We are to be truth tellers. And the, the logic, he says, is, is we're members one to another. Right? To lie to your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ is the same as lying to yourself. Because we're one body. So might we be people who speak truthfully. Number two on the list is control anger. Might we be people who control anger. Verse 26, be angry. That's my life verse. Just uh, Ephesians 4.26a, be angry. (laughs) Okay, you got it. I can do that one. Be angry and do not sin. The better translation of the Greek there is, When you get angry, and you're gonna, when you get angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He's actually citing here Psalm 4.4. Again, he's pulling out of the Old Testament here. He says, when you get angry, and that feeling itself isn't exactly the sin. That feeling of anger isn't the sin, it's, it's what you do with it. When that feeling of anger rises up inside of you, what do you do with it? Controlling it matters. Jesus proves that it's possible to be angry and not sin. If you were to go, and we shall, to Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, a crippled hand, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers of the day, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They care more about the letter of the law than they do about the spirit of the law, which is to bring healing and goodness and peace to people. And so this man can have a withered hand. Who cares? As long as we cross all the T's and dot all the I's. That's what matters. That's where the Pharisees and the scribes are. And so they're waiting. Because Jesus, you can't work on the Sabbath, and healing is work. You can't do that. 
And Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, I, got, I have an interesting question for you. He's saying this in the, in the presence of the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Which, is be- which would you say is, is better? To hurt people or to help people? What, what do you think is the spirit of the, of the law here? Right, Kind of patronizing, quite frankly, to the Pharisees and the scribes. And so they absolutely shut up because they don't know what to say. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. They had nothing to say. That actually was still a problem. Because what Jesus wanted, and hear me, this was the longing of Jesus' heart. You remember, if you remember in the Gospels, there's a scene where he's coming back to be crucified. He's coming back into Jerusalem. His face is set like flint for the mission that is in front of him, and he weeps over the city. Oh, how I've longed. To bring like a like a mother hen longs to to bring in her chicks, right? This is rooted in love. He wants to see these Pharisees and these scribes turn from their religiosity and turn to a relationship with God through Him, the Messiah, and they haven't yet. And so, what he would hope they would do in this situation is say, "You're right. We're we're thinking about this all wrong. Heal them. Heal this man. That's the right thing to do." You are the Messiah, but they don't. Instead, they just keep their mouths shut. And he looked around at them with anger. Anger rooted in love. But watch what he does with the anger. He's grieved at the hardness of their hearts. So his anger becomes grieving for the lostness of others. And then he turns it into healing. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. See? But of course, Jesus can be angry and not sin. He's perfect, right? That's not fair. Hold that up as the standard. But it is the standard, and not only the standard, but the empowerment that we have is through Jesus. He's making, he can make us those types of people. But you see how the anger doesn't turn into like lashing out. It doesn't turn into like rage. I guess for me, like he's not like, oh, gosh, are you kidding me? Like that's not his response. But that sounded great on the sermon audio. Instead, his response is, is healing, grieving. When you get angry, what's your, your response? He gives us some guidance. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't stay angry. That's the point there. My family took this literally growing up. We weren't allowed to go to bed angry. We had to take care of it. Literally, before we went to bed, we had to take care of it. Now, you can do that in a house, right? Because everybody's in the same place, okay? But that's not really the message. The message isn't right. Like, you get kind of angry at somebody, and you drive home. By the time you get back, maybe it's after midnight, you know, call them, wake them up in the middle of the night and get it taken care of. The point is, take care of it as soon as possible, right? Move past your anger. Don't stay angry because anger's dangerous, right? He, he, he says, uh, do not give opportunity to the devil. See, anger's like an avocado. <laughs> Hear me out. You bring that avocado home, okay? And when you wake up the next morning and you feel that avocado, you want some guacamole that evening, you feel it, you're like, this isn't even close to ripe. It's still raw. This thing's raw. Man. And then by lunchtime, you, man, oh, it's ripe. We're going to have guacamole tonight. And then when you cut it open for dinner, it's rotten already. You notice how an avocado goes from ripe to rotten like in 
32 minutes? Like, how does that? I don't know. But that's the thing with anger. When you let it sit, it goes from raw to rotten really, really fast. So deal with your anger. Don't let it sit. Speak truthfully. Control anger. Earn honestly, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands. It's an equal opportunity sermon, right? There's probably not a whole lot of shoplifters in here or bank robbers. But listen, do I earn honestly? You guys pay me a part-time salary. Do I give my time week after week to the church? Or do I sit during my work time and scroll through social media and watch YouTube videos? Obviously, that question is not just for me. It's for you as well. Do you earn honestly at your job? Are you giving your employer what they're paying you to give them? Or are you stealing? That's harsh. Remember... Not condemnation, not compliance, not cockiness, not criticism, but conviction is okay. To feel convicted in a way that says, God, I need your help to grow in these areas. I need your help to be transformed in these areas. That's healthy. To be convicted. Do you steal from your employer by cutting corners? You steal credit from others, right? Like, you just happen to be at the front of the line when a group project gets celebrated, right? Like, like I have this opportunity all the time. Mercy Village Church, right? Like, it's doing so great. Not me. It's people. There's credit to go around galore to all types of people. Don't steal. Earn honestly what you have. And the reason for that, the end of verse 28, is so that we can give generously that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Give generously. Earn honestly. Give generously. You see, the headline's not back off. I earn this fair and square. I'm an honest employee. This is mine. You want, you want a handout? Go get a job, right? Yeah, and that may be a healthy conversation to have with somebody lovingly at a certain point in their life, but, but that's not the posture of the Christian. Oh, get away. No, if you have a long... If you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence, right? Like that's the that's the spirit of that. Give generously. Speak truthfully, control anger, earn honestly, give generously. Man, this could be heavy. Speak intentionally. Right? That earn honestly part, do not steal. He's citing the Ten Commandments there, just by the way, if you want to follow that thread through. Now in verse 29, he's going to pull this from the book of Ecclesiastes, primarily several different spots when he calls us to speak intentionally. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Speak intentionally. So let me ask us. And I say us very intentionally here. Because if I'm honest, all the cards on the table, this is the most convicting one for me. I have failed at this multiple times this week. Multiple times a day this week. It's spring break, man. I've had all all kinds of chances to fail at this with my kids. So I'm not preaching 
to you all alone, I'm, I'm 100% preaching to myself. How do we speak to people? Are you like, and peel back the onion, right? Are you seeking control? And so when you speak to people, it's manipulating, right? You're just trying to get them to see your point of view and think like you'd be like. Are you seeking validation in your life? And so you're humble bragging all the time. You're like kind of citing all of your wins to everyone you talk to. You're, you're posting all your wins on social media. Like, look at how much we're winning, right? Like, again, okay, don't hear me calling out like specific behaviors. Hear me calling out heart motives. You can do a lot of stuff with good heart motives. But with bad heart motives, that's the problem. What's the motives of your heart? Are you seeking position or respect, right? So, so you do that by bringing down other people, so out of your mouth comes gossip and slander. That's corrupt talk. Maybe it's foul, perverted language because you're trying to be the funny person in the room, right? So you just always push, stretching the line, right? Like, cross the line. Maybe you want power, so you belittle other people. You're trying to self-soothe your own churning, so you're lashing out in anger. You're short and you're frustrated. That's, that's corrupt. Maybe you're some passive-aggressive influence, desire for passive-aggressive influence, so sarcasm is how you respond in situations. You know, that was really great what you did there, you know, like that kind of thing. And, and by the way, this is where I get to be Bill Murray because it's like manipulating me, bragging me, gossip me, sarcasm, also me. I'm pretty close on this one. Maybe you use your, your language in ways to hurt others or to get what you want. This isn't just about cuss words or something, right? It's about corrupt speech, using our words. Instead, our motives should be singularly rooted in love. He says, what, with the words that come out of your mouth should be intentionally for what? To build others up and to, to give grace to those who hear. That's a high bar. I didn't do that with my children as much as I should have this week. That's just me being honest. I build them up. I didn't give grace to the hearers. I sought my own, right? And then he throws in there that occasion part too, which is important, right? I'm trying to teach this to our kids right now. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to maybe say those things because you're here in this house, but don't ever say that at school, please, or we're all going to prison, right? Like, like, don't do that. Like, there's occasions for certain, right? That's part of that intentionality is knowing when to say what you're saying. Okay, got quite a list here. We ain't done. Honor the Holy Spirit, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The basic interpretation of this is imagine that relationally you've invested yourself in somebody. Whether it's a child or a friend or a neighbor or somebody you're mentoring and you've, you've guided them and you've, you've helped to, to nudge them in the right direction. You've helped impart wisdom to them. And then they just, in their life, just choose to live completely self-destructively instead. And your heart is grieved by that. Because you love them and you want what's good for them. And the Holy Spirit resides in the children of God, opening our eyes to the truth, nudging us, guiding us, revealing truth to us. And we decide to just live any way we please. 
There's grief. It's always spirit. That's a basic interpretation. That's, that's enough for today. There's, there's more underneath that when it comes to grieving the Holy Spirit. There's actually a lot of, of doctrine beneath that. But in a general sense, when the Holy Spirit moves you towards these things that we're talking about here and others, do you move? in that direction, or do you take his presence for granted? Or even worse, do you resist his presence? Number seven is my favorite. It's just this. 31 just tells calm down. That's what 30, 31, if you just encapsulate it into two words, it's just calm down. Can we just calm down? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Calm down. Bitterness is, that, is, is the idea of a sour taste in your mouth. Some of us live that way. I, I've had those days where, where I, you can see the bad taste in my mouth on my face, right? It's just bitterness inside of me because I'm a victim of everybody else, right? You ever had days like that or been around someone who's having a day like that? That's that bitterness. You're just bitter at everyone and everything, and you just see it on the face. Wrath is anger that is turned into seething rage. And then that word anger is a Greek word that is not just for the feeling of anger, but anger that doesn't subside. This is, again, the avocado idea. That anger that is not dealt with will then become seething rage, seething anger. It doesn't subside. You carry it with you everywhere you go. You find yourself in the mirror confronting the person you're angry at. And your, your wife says, who are you talking to in there? And you realize, man, I'm like chewing out the person who wronged me like out loud in front of the mirror. That's that seething rage inside of you, that anger that, that doesn't stop. Clamor. I love this word. This word literally is like the blah, blah, blah of constant nagging and complaining. That's what clamor is. The blah, 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 right? Like these folks, right? Me among them sometimes are the ones who nag about nothing that you do in their life is good enough. Right? It's the spouse who has no differential between how they confront you about like some deep heart issue and how they confront you about the fact that you left the cabinet door open, right? Like both of those are like the same amount of heat like brought at you, right? Like intensity. That's clamor. That's, that's that nagging. That, and it's just on and on and on. It's the person who like, how's your day today? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty good, but forecast said it's going to be 70 degrees and it's only 62 degrees. So I don't know if I'm happy or not. You know, it's like everything is a reason for complaint. That's clamor. Put that away, right? Slander literally means to whisper giving something out. That's to take private stuff from someone and give it to somebody it doesn't belong to. We call it gossip. Man, we love gossip. We love gossip. Stop it. Like, the mark of a Christian is not that. Gossip dies. No slander. Malice is just hateful feelings churning inside. So the whole, all of those things are these churning inside of us, this anger and this malice and this gossip, just in church, calm down. Some of us need to take a Holy Spirit chill pill today, right? And 
be risk an overdose. It's fine. You can't overdose on the Holy Spirit chill pills. That's the call. Calm down. We don't have to die on every hill. You don't have to prove yourself in every situation. You don't have to be right about everything. You don't have to right every wrong. Calm down. And then lastly, put your hard hat on, right? And I think this is an interesting, this interesting concept here, right? Because typically the anger, malice, intimidation, manipulation, those people oftentimes, they might have their behavior critiqued, but they're seen as the strong ones. They're seen as the powerful ones, right? But God's kingdom is different. Do you want to see what real toughness looks like? I'm going to show you in the first part of verse 32. This is what it means to be tough. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You want to be tough? You want to live the life of a, of a true warrior? You're gonna, that's what you do. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all seen uh, Band of Brothers, the old HBO series on World War II. There's a guy, Lieutenant Spears. I think it's in episode three of that series. There's this scene. They're taking a city, and they're, and they're trying to kind of stifle the German army by not only... Uh, cutting them off from the city, but by capturing their all the armaments, that all the tanks and the military stuff that they have. And the guy who's leading the company that, that this documentary, or not documentary, but this docuseries follows, is frozen. He's like out there trying to lead the army in, and he's like absolutely frozen, panicked. He's been tough in training. He's been tough everywhere else. But now that he's in the battle... He's clammed up. And so they call Lieutenant Spears in. And Lieutenant Spears gets called in to replace this guy. And if you've seen it, you'll remember, he goes like super dramatic, but what I've learned is probably looked a lot like this. He comes running in, and they're like firing mortars at him. They're like blowing up in front of him. He's like jumping through the smoke, you know, like whatever. And they get down into the city, and he's got Lipton with him, who's a guy actually based on a uh, real person out of Huntington, West Virginia, trivia fact for you. And they look around the corner. You take this city. So what do you see? So Germans everywhere. Tanks, machine guns, they've got it all. And they're forming a retreat. They're going to get all this gear out of here and our mission's going to fail. We got to connect with I Company because if we don't, they're not going to be able to help cut them off. Our mission will fail. Can you get them on the radio? No. Radio contact is out. But if we don't get them, we're going to fail. Lieutenant Spears says, Okay, you're right. Wait here. And he steps up. And you know, the music gets real dramatic, whatever. It's real life. It's happened in real life, though. It's based on real life events. And he takes off running. Like, the Germans are like where this microphone is. He's like running by them, you know. And Lipton starts to narrate in the docuseries. He says, at first, the Germans were too surprised to even fire their weapons. Like, who is this guy? But he said, the most astounding part is not, Right? that he made contact with iCompany, and they show him climbing over this wall to where iCompany is. It's the fact that after he made contact with them, he came back. Right? And he climbs back over the wall, and he runs back across, you know, with gunfire going off. Why is he a hero in that situation? Now, hear me. There's a, there's a toughness there, right? And there's a place for that toughness, and, and there's a place for aggression in this life. Don't hear me saying there's not. But what rises above everything else is that he's willing to make himself completely vulnerable for the sake of others. 
And some of us, most of us, will never be in military situations like that. (laughs) God help us. But every day we have the opportunity to make ourselves vulnerable for the sake of others. You're going to forgive people in your life, it's going to require you to be vulnerable. You're going to be kind to others, it's going to force you to be vulnerable. You're going to be tender-hearted to the people in your life, it's going to force you to be vulnerable. And that's not weakness. Women, you want to be warriors in your field and life and place, be vulnerable. Men, you want to be warriors in your life, be vulnerable. Kindness, that word is good and easy to get along with. I know that doesn't sound like a warrior, but that's hard. You've got to open up your heart to do that, right? You've got to expose yourself to enemy fire to be kind. Tenderhearted, I love this one because it, it literally comes from this idea of having good bowels. <laughs> You know we are going to talk about bowel movements today, did you? But it does. Like, the question is, are you regular? Right? Like, um, Ricky Bobby, the, the great theologian Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Talladega Nights, he says, I crap excellence. Like, that's his slogan. Okay? The idea here is that we have compassion and tenderness so deeply internalized inside of us. In the very bowels of our being. That's the idea. So deeply inside of us that it regularly spills out. That's what comes out of us. Not excellence. Tenderness. Gentleness. Kindness. Compassion. And then forgiveness. Free canceling of debt. Right? It it doesn't say, "I, I don't know if you're really sorry when that person comes and repents to you. It freely cancels debt. And it's going to require toughness to live like that. So how do you do with that list? <laughs> are you speaking truthfully? Are you controlling anger? Are you earning honestly? Are you giving generously? Are you speaking intentionally? Are you honoring the Holy Spirit? Are you calm? And you got your hard hat on ready to live with vulnerability. See why I cautioned us at the beginning? That's a lot. And that's the whole passage today, right? There's hardly any gospel in there, but we get a little at the very end, right? Because a checklist can't save you. But Jesus can. Last verse, last part of verse 32. As God in Christ forgave you. The whole book has been about not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By grace you have been saved through faith. Forgiveness comes through Jesus. Man, you got to hear that at the end of that list. He talked about it in Ephesians chapter 1 when he said this, verses 7 through 10. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Forgiveness for when we fail on the checklist. Forgiveness. For when we don't live up to the standard, forgiveness. When we treat the standard like some affirmation to ourselves. And he doesn't give us forgiveness according to our abilities, but according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. That's the gospel. If you're not a Christian, that's good news for you today because you can throw yourself up on a checklist and lose because you can't achieve it. Or you can go to the cross where Jesus, God's perfect son, died in the place of sinners like you and sinners like me, receiving the punishment that I deserved and you deserved in our place so that by grace through faith in Jesus you can be saved. You, when God looks at you, in Christ he sees Jesus' checklist. And Jesus checked them all off perfectly. He doesn't see yours. And that's good news because it's busted. You ain't getting it done. But Jesus got it done. Faith means believing that when Jesus died on the cross, he took his perfect fulfillment of everything God requires and made it available to you through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. You do that from your seat and call out, God, I'm a sinner. Maybe not out loud. People might think you're weird, but God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I am trusting the finished work of Jesus on the cross to make me right with God. That's it. That's simple. You'll be saved if you have questions about it. We'd love to talk with you about it. So Christians, here's where we close. First, pick one of the things from the list this week. Right? Like, mine speak intentionally. I need some work on that. So go through the list. Pick one of those things. Like, this, like what's the one thing that needs some attention from you? Pick that one thing. And then pursue that thing out of conviction, not condemnation or criticism, right? Like, don't feel guilty under the weight of it. Don't walk around, like, just feeling like cast off into the gutter, which is what condemnation and criticism do. They kind of just leave you in the gutter or somebody else that you're criticizing in the gutter. Conviction instead says God has called me out And He is transforming me in His power. And that power is mine. And I have faith that in Jesus is life to the full. And so these ways of living are not shackling, but they're freeing. So I'm trusting Jesus' power to change me. And I'm believing that this is for my good. That's conviction. And pursue those things out of of conviction and, and, and pursue those things as consequences of the gospel. Not out of compliance or, or trying to prove something about yourself, but saying this proves, right? Every time that you walk in Christ's likeness, it just proves once more that the gospel's true. This is my last word, because I still have fear for us under a checklist. There's some of us in this room, even as we hear those handholds of conviction and consequences of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and we're let out from under the weight of condemnation, and and all those things, we still, right, are the types of people who tomorrow at at work, you might get complimented 37 times, but then one person says to you something that sounds just a little bit like it's not a compliment, and by the time you get home, that's the only thing you're holding on to, right? Oh man, my hair doesn't look right, does it, right? Even though 37 other people told you it looks great. Like some of us are wired that way. And so we hear this list and we think, well, I'm probably not a Christian then. 
<laughs> that ain't me, right? Because all you can think of is all your failures against this list. That's why it's so important that we are these types of people. One, who tell our brothers and sisters in Christ when we see Jesus in them. Say it to them. Tell them, don't just say, man, I really, that's really cool that you did that. Frame it as gospel transformation in their lives. I see Jesus in you when you A, B, or C talk to each other this way. So that we can be reminded that Jesus is at work within us. And two, learn to speak to yourself holistically. If you're one of those people who only sees the negative, bring a friend into your life. Own that in front of them. Say, hey, this needs to change about me. I know it does. And and this is not an easy road. I get it. I want to change the way I talk to myself. Not to be someone who thinks, you know, the opposite's bad too. Like where everything you do is right. Like don't be that person either. That's nauseating. But someone who holistically sees themselves. They see their weaknesses and their strengths and they can hold on to both of them at the same time. But for some of you who are burdened under guilt and shame, that means you've got to start telling yourself the truth about the grace of God at work in your life too. Not just always be talking about the way you fail, but be willing to own the ways that God has transformed your life. So bring others into your life who are what? Say, hey, I need help with this. I'm trying to, trying to tell the truth to myself on both sides, not just my weaknesses, but my strengths as well by God's grace. Bring somebody in. Because the result of true gospel transformation is a gospel lifestyle. We will begin to look like those types of people we read about in that list. But that's rooted in the love of Jesus. And if it isn't, we'll never be able to be those type of people anyway. So rest in the love of Jesus as you work in his power to be these types of people. Father, and I know I was long today. That's a lot. Maybe I'm up here trying to do work that, that you could, that instead of you, will you move in the hearts of your people, that they not feel condemnation, that they not feel cockiness or the need for compliance, that they not feel criticism towards others, but instead they can own this list as consequences of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, of gospel transformation, that you're the only one that can make us people like this. And you've promised to do so for your children. And that where we're convicted, it won't be for our shame and our desire to want to quit, but instead it'll be to turn to you for strength and rely on you for strength to change. A year from now, we'd be more like that list. But it'd just be all about the glory of Jesus that we are. In his name we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.